Hi, and welcome to Aspect Ratio Projects One-to-One. -one. My name is Jennifer Armetta, and I'm the director of the gallery. Aspect Ratio Projects is a contemporary art gallery located in Chicago. We represent emerging and mid-career conceptual artists from around the world. This is our series of podcasts that we look at as sort of an informal fireside chat with our artists. Time to get personal, have some fun, and learn about art and our artists. I'm happy to be speaking with Jean Alexander Frazier today who has shown a number of times with the gallery and will be having a show coming up later this year. Thank you to Darby Jack Gustafson, our associate intern for producing this event today. Hello, Jean, how are you? Wonderful, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Getting through, happy that spring is coming and um, looking forward to all getting back together in person again sometime soon. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, a little sunshine's always good. Exactly. We welcome that in Chicago, for sure. I think what I would like to ask you first, and again, I would love this to be a back and forth, but it's always good to start at the beginning, right? And um, maybe you can share with us how you became an artist. Was it something that you'd always known you wanted to be? Is it something that evolved as you went through life and education? Maybe you can elaborate on that. Well, I think that I always liked to play with materials and experiment with things. I used to take things apart and put them back together as a kid. I would, instead of playing with like Barbies in sort of a social context, I would work on their houses and things that they wore and looked at and stuff like that. But I don't think the idea about being an artist was in any way a real thing for me. It sort of came out of like me just examining what I was doing in my life. So, I mean, I knew a lot of different writers and musicians and people in theater and stuff like that, but I don't remember having, like knowing, you know, practicing artists or anything like that. So no, it wasn't really anything that was, seemed possible, I guess. You know, when I was kind of becoming an adult and I went to college, I entered uh, at the University of Dayton I entered uh, as an environmental engineer, but I quickly oh, wow. changed my <laughs> major. Uh, I would I, then I double majored biology and philosophy. I think it was a nice way to transition out of the sciences, and and then I did that for the first couple of years, and then I took a year off my junior year, and uh, traveled quite a bit. I you know backpacked and stuff. So I was in the early nineties and I worked in the summer and then I got a one-way ticket to whichever was this cheapest city would fly me to in Europe. And I backpacked for a while. So I had like a year of just a lot of just observing and reading and thinking. And I spent a lot of times in uh, a lot of time in museums and stuff like that. So, and cities, churches essentially. And I returned back to Dayton um, wanting to finish my degree as quickly as possible. And so I just got my, finished my credits for philosophy. And during all of that thinking and reading that you do in sort of those last courses, your senior year, uh, I actually found myself in the ceramic studio almost all the time. Really? Uh, yeah. So I had taken a ceramics class when I returned and then um, it was just like a wonderful way to just think maybe through everything that had happened to me and, and uh, 
all the all the various thoughts and things I had seen and experienced because I had backpacked by myself. So it was a kind of a solitary, I met a lot of different people and you know, that's a whole different conversation. But <laughs> I think I can pinpoint that as being like my exposure to art with a capital A, but also just a, an idea of a different kind of life. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Europe definitely opens our eyes to some of that, at least speaking for myself. And and I know that when I was spent time there, it actually was a bit transformative for me in terms of what I wanted to do, because like you, I started off more in the sciences. I was like a psychology major and then transitioned to art history. So I have a double major in that too. Um, but, you know, I think the museums... Here, I'll say it this way. For me, people always ask me, why were you going to museums and what were you doing in there? And for me, mm -hmm. it was a place of solitude, but also just, I mean, obviously aesthetically it was pleasing, but it was just a real place of peace for me. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, obviously churches over there, you'd get the same kind of feeling. Did you experience any of that? Is, is, does that resonate with you? I think that I wanted to experience peace. <laughs> 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 Don't uh, <we> all. <laughs> but it was more of a just a total unknown and curiosity you know being in a in a, in um in various countries where some i could speak the language a little bit and um some not at all it was this other kind of language it was very um um just other you know, something else. And uh, I was mostly, it was just aroused, just a real curiosity. I mean, in terms of the cathedrals and stuff, I remember going to these different cathedrals and then after having seen so many, then then being satisfied in the recognition of some of the symbols of like whatever the saints were carrying that I could say, oh, that is the same saint as the one I had seen in another one, or, you know, because they there's all these symbols and then translating that into the different kinds of symbols that we see in, in the art museums. And then it was a sort of a collection of this kind of language that I thought had some kind of meaning and just the curiosity of something else and something that I didn't know anything about, but was something I could grapple with and like understand and, and in a different kind of way. So yeah, I think that it was also, it, it kind of opened up a fervor, I guess. I find it interesting that you brought up language because this came up in our podcast with Adam Daly Wilson, who is mm -hmm. a text-based based artist, and talking about how art in and of itself is a language and mm -hmm. transcends languages and, and cultures in certain ways. And so you being more of an abstract artist, it's interesting right. that language became you know, an important thing for you? Well, I guess if I go back to the beginning, like I said, I found myself in the ceramic studio and just this engagement with material, it was a relationship for me working with the material. And like, there was something unknown about what was gonna happen and like, you know, what kinds of decision-making uh, was going on uh, when I would deal with that material. And it was kind of like a, a reciprocal relationship. It would inform me of its constraints and its possibilities. And that was exciting. And so I spent like about nine, about nine or 10 years, almost 10 years, just exclusively working in ceramics. Going back to your point about language, I bring this up because I was given an opportunity to have a, 
a little bit of a solo show in a side gallery in Cleveland where I was living at the time. At the time of my life, I was just not satisfied with what was going on. I mean, I was working to maintain the studio practice and it was just kind of like this endless cycle and hadn't really considered going to art school or graduate school or anything like that. And someone kept like different people in my life said things to me like, oh, well, everything happens for a reason or it was meant to be. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a curious thing to just kind of arbitrarily say. I mean, it wasn't arbitrary. They were saying like to make me feel better, but um, <laughs> <laughs> Did it I, work? I just, <laughs> well, I don't know. It made me kind of think like, well, what are, you know, what are you saying? What does that mean? So I had this opportunity to do the show and it was kind of like low stakes. You know, I didn't really, it didn't matter at that point to me about showing this work that I'd been doing for so long in ceramics. And it was more of just a opportunity to just kind of like see what I could do with these ideas. I was thinking about, you know, meaning making and language and stuff. And, you know, what if I were to just put all these letters in a hat and pull, pull each letter out. And then I made a word like, does that, is that meaningful? You know, kind of how you pull out a tarot card. Right. Right. And it's like, there's some energy and mystical thing that happens that you connect with this certain object and then, then therefore, you know, there's, there's something you can get from that that's attached to something else, you know, and that's where you get your meaning. So something, it's always connected to something else where you get your meaning. And so I thought about this relationship of like pulling out different letters and then forming words. And then I thought, well, no, there's a structure underneath actually, like in the English language, you have certain frequencies of letters, right? Like there's more E's than there are, than there are X's. So it doesn't make sense to just arbitrarily pull a one-to-one -one ratio. So I looked into it a little bit more and you find the QWERTY system where the keyboards are situated in such a way because of letter frequency. So I found out, you know, there was a study done of how many letters in the English language are occur at what ratio. And so I did this project, this show where I pulled out according to this underlying system, different words and then put them up on these grids and stuff and laid out the whole gallery in these grids of letters and words that were just randomly made. And then I also correlated that to the tarot card pulling out and put those on the grids and then showed the letter frequency and mapped out the gallery into this whole like conceptual kind of fluxes show, not wow. really knowing that that's what was going on, that, that, that there was this whole history of kind of people making this kind of work. Then I discovered that there was a whole history of people. <laughs> kind of work. You or were onto something. <laughs> or maybe I had known it along the way and just kind of, I, I, you know. But anyway, I thought, well, this is about time for me to apply to graduate school. And, and I applied to the Art Institute, to the School of Art Institute in Chicago, knowing that there was this kind of multidisciplinary conceptual art focus. So I think like, uh, just go, when you said that thing about language, I mean, I think that that's art making is a kind of language, right? It is. Mm -hmm. and, and so literally here, you know, I was using, you know, the English language. It's sort of like, but questioning the, the structure that right. underlies it. Well, I yeah. did not know that story, actually. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. <laughs> sure. But, well, your last comment <laughs> reveals a lot in questioning structures, because that is what you do with painting. Yeah, with that, that, that uh, it's about structure, but it's also about an interest in, in material too. Mm -hmm. and, and those two things uh, kind of are like the, you know, the foundation of my work. 
Right. And it makes sense to me that you would have started in ceramics because you have a real, there's a real physicality to your work. And, and there's also just this real personal connection of you in the work and informing it, whether it would be a ceramic piece of art or one of your paintings, which are very sculptural. Maybe you can share a little bit about how you came to be working in the fashion that you do with kind of testing the limits of painting versus sculpture. Because like I've told you before in our conversations, I'm not seeing anybody else working in that way. And it's beautiful, but it is really physical and very much present outside of just being a painting. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things, you know, and just the decision of working with painting as a thing. It's almost like making a decision to work with the English language, right? So that's kind of like the structural, the limits, I guess. Mm -hmm. So even though that my work can be sculptural, I still think of it as painting. And then deconstructing that a little bit, like what are the materials of painting, you know? The idea of painting itself, you know, is, is, is part of it. Um, then pigment, and then, then I use the canvas and the stretcher bars. You know, instead of sitting in front of, like having that existential crisis where I'm sitting in front of a blank canvas, I have all of these different things to sort of get the juices flowing and then have these different relationships with each of the materials and have the materials have their relationships with each other. And then having a, a real experimental, like physical uh, curiosity about that. So that it's really about how these things work with each other and how I can use like the language of painting to kind of push something along, you know, like the support or, you know, sometimes I've used the support as part of that to kind of push an idea along. Like, what is the support? Who's making the decision about what part of the painting process I preference? Is it, you know, how, how, how do you make a line? You can make a line by drawing it, by painting it. The edge can, the edge of the, the structure can be the line. You can tear it, you can cut it. So there's like all of these different ways to think about how you approach the material within that tradition of painting. You know, it's not a sculpture you look at, you can walk around it completely. Mm -hmm. So there is a framing, you know, of it. It's, 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 uh, you can walk around it, but not entirely. There's right. a, a frontal perspective. Right. There's a, there's a center point to the view. I, yeah, I hope I'm saying that correctly because they do, they go on the wall. And, yeah. and then there's that relationship of how that does go on the wall. So yeah, there, I mean, it's a lot actually, <laughs> even, even within those limits, there's just like a huge amount to, to think about. Right, well, I was gonna say, I, when we first met, however long ago that was, more recently, I guess, I had no idea how cerebral it was, this process for you. And I know, I, I think sometimes I mean, you're very prolific, and but you think a lot about something and then when you get into it it kind of not takes on a life of its own not like you're you know not in control but it's like you're going through the process with the piece is almost how it sounds to me yeah like going back to grad school and stuff like i was doing you know these videos and stuff where i would put objects in front of a camera and then you know i would uh have you know, like an action that would happen. It would either be like gravity was doing doing some kind of work there, or I would perform with it in some way. And it would, there would be like some kind of an event that happened. So all of these decisions are about decisions that I'm making, but also the material is, you know, making too. And mm -hmm. gravity is a big 
part of that in a lot of the work, you know, I used when you're experimenting with the material, it can do things that you can, you know, that you can bring to the foreground. Some some things it's it's just about having an idea and then carrying out the the thing. And others, it's uh it's it's more of a conversation that's continually happening. Visually they're stunningly beautiful to look at as well you know so you you've accomplished something that people want to live with people want to learn from and experience while also being pushing the boundaries of a lot of things so I think that is um, what makes your work really complex and interesting and different there is a joy with working with material and there's also a joy of working with color well, okay, so I, I did make these paintings a long time ago where I, just to go back to like kind of the foundation of what brought me into to what I'm doing. I was making these paintings where, so I lived in a time when I was listening to, you know, music has always been a very important part of my life. And when I was younger, I listened to albums and then I, all of a sudden I was listening to cassettes and then CDs. And it was always such a frustration to me that this this object that, was delivering me <laughs> my music was kind of constantly shifting right. and um and often breaking right there used to be a time where I could like like with a record player or something you kind of open it up and then you could see like oh there's a wire that's, that's been like uh shaken loose and you can connect it or something and then got to a point where well, I was with these cd players and my cd player broke and I opened up the thing and it was all these circuit boards and you know what what are you going to do with that like the tools to make to fix those circuit boards are more expensive than buying a CD player. <laughs> right. And so I, I became really interested in like the circuit board and the pattern of it. And I took the circuit board and took a photograph of it and projected it onto the wall to make it a readable scale. And then I painted those patterns of that circuit board. And really? um, I did these all like in black and white. and there was something like going back to language again, there was something really interesting about that. Like all of a sudden they became accessible in a different kind of way. So that while they were useless, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was something that was related to the past uh, that was no longer going to exist. And they were just going to get smaller and smaller, and therefore more mysterious. And then our relationship to that thing was yeah, just mysterious. So that I couldn't fix it. I couldn't read it, but it was almost like hieroglyphics or something, or like, and then it became like a Mondrian painting, really super interesting. And the paintings themselves were just, you know, these funky little grid, you know, you can imagine exactly what they look like, right. black and white things. And they were interesting to me, but you know, they weren't so beautiful. And then I thought about my use of just black and white and, and, and color really kind of opened things up for me because there's a different, Thing that happens with color where there's other representation there's other the, the way you present color it was you know like color field paintings there's like a feeling about them there's an aura to them but there's also a environment that they mm -hmm. create and working with color is just pleasurable it's a it's a pleasurable thing and I think that how I feel or how how I work with something somehow is translated into the viewer like if I'm enjoying it, then they can get some kind of joy out of it too. So there's that. And there's also this idea of like shifting the scale of something so that, 
you know, while for the circuit board paintings, bringing the scale up so it was readable to me was a was kind of an interesting shift in the way I thought about working with scale. And that in in, in my paintings now, I'll look at like color field paintings that are epic, you know, huge <sighs> environmental paintings. And I'm kind of bringing the scale down so mm -hmm. that they're, I don't know, maybe more comfortable, not so right. mysterious or not so out, out of me. There, there's a relationship to the body right. that, that happens that's really important in the work. And so that's why I brought up the circuit board thing was because I think my struggle with the circuit boards was just like, as they became smaller, the relationship that they had with to my body, to my being able to fix them, to my understanding of them fell away. But if I could scale them up, I could kind of understand them better. In the other kind of way, taking these huge expanses of color and sort of, you know, not reducing them because they're not reduced. It's the same amount of material that's taking up that space, but it's just, or it's the same amount of material that's being used, but it's just like a, like a reduction sauce, you know? So it's saturated mm -hmm. in that way that you can understand not only the color, but the material. And, and it's got a kind of, uh, it's got a literal weight to it that mm -hmm. relates to the body. So they have a different physicalness. Well, right. You touched, I was going to go there with how they relate to the body. And I, I just to make one observation though, I, I, think that when you talk about color, color does evoke certain feelings and the colors that you're choosing are obviously intentional. And so when you talk about joy in your work and you experience and you feel joy when you're creating your work, I think that absolutely comes through. And that's part of what makes your work so interesting to people and, and something that people want to live with, something that people want to see and be around. Because I know, I mean, when we have a show with you, people they congregate here when we're able to um, and just stand in front of the work and and take it all in. And that is such a, you know, it's kind of a tricky thing to do in the art world. If you're making a powerful statement about something to present in a, in a way that is readily consumable and that's some that people want to live with. And by choosing those colors, you're evoking feelings. I absolutely believe that people relate to the work in that way. Yeah, I think it's it maybe it's like smell or sound or something that there's a memory associated with it. A lot of times people, just by seeing forms and blocks of color together, you start to see things like your imagination kind of pulls in different ways. You have memories with them or you imagine yourself in a different kind of space. It's a different way of looking where you're sort of looking, you're not, you're, when you're looking upon it, it sort of is like a vessel of looking into yourself in a way, instead of it being like, a narrative or, or, or looking into it. It's a different way of looking, I guess. So I, I like it when you can look at or upon something and it can hold just enough information that it allows my, it allows me to open up my own um, experiences and, mm -hmm. and kind of put that onto it. You do experiment with scale. You have some works that are quite small and then some works recently that are much larger. Is there something that goes into that? And then some have a lot of color and some have maybe only one, maybe two. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> You're all well, over the place, Jean. No, I'm kidding. I know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing. No. Um, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that is true. So in terms of scale, I think that I work 
as large as my body can physically handle because they are physical. They are so physical that the parameters of the piece is like, I'm, I'm about, I'm 5'10". So about as tall, about as big as I can go in two directions simultaneously is like six feet by six feet. That way I can kind of just grab the sides of my wingspan is just about that long. So I can 72 inches on either side. is about as far as I can take and twirl them around and, you know, pick them up and move them around uh, and work on them. But I can go a little, you know, bigger and in different directions. So, but they are the, the parameters of the scale when it, when it gets down to the final piece is definitely has to do with just my body. When you're in the process of creating your work, making a painting, does it move around your studio? Do you put it in different locations? And is this part of the process? Because there's also a lot of movement in your work. So yeah, they're physical. Like, so basically I start off with like really large canvases. I have a, in my studio, I have a roll of, uh, a huge roll of canvas. And then I just pull it up and put it on the, uh, and staple it up to the wall. So right. I'm painting on an enormous surface. It could be 20 feet by 20 feet. You had asked about like some of my paintings have like one color. And so <clears throat> I'll just talk about that for a second. So I did a show in uh, during my Bolt residency at the Chicago Artist Coalition. And the idea of the show was to look at the, the uh, grid painting, just, just one color, one color grid painting hmm. and see what I could do with that really simple idea. And I liked the idea of the grid with, you know, within the history of art, but also because the canvas itself is just a, a grid of cotton. So it's a woven grid of cotton. So it was kind of like an undoing and a doing of a singular colored painting. And what I did was I painted the, the canvas in layers of color so that the final color was just one color. Uh, then I tore it up. And when you tear, it just tears along the grid or the weave. So you get straight lines. So I was kind of undoing and doing this grid. And then I rewove it together. Uh, the thing that was interesting was that that space of the grid became sculptural depending on how taut it was. And so I liked that idea of the three-dimensionality of, of a grid. And then also when you tear it, the underpainting, the colors that, that I painted underneath came through the cracks. So it was like this revelation of undoing, redoing, and then whatever was underneath was kind of coming through. So that, that, that's what that show is about. And so it was important at that point to use just one color because on the top, because then the other colors would come through the surface. So it was kind of questioning this idea of there ever is just one color. And if the grid is in fact flat, you know, so there's that. And there's then um, depending on the, the tautness of the weave, that flexibility allows for what you were talking about before was like motion mm -hmm. or movement. That kind of event that could happen in the work was happening through probably this physical like movement of, of making, I'm guessing that it probably came through that way.
your work is continually evolving, which is, which is great. I mean, that is, that is what is critical. You know, some artists get stuck and some people get stuck, right. In whatever it is that we're doing. And there's a little fear of the unknown. You don't seem to have any of that. And you just keep pushing forward with these incredible ideas and having them transform your work. You know, it's a plus and a minus, right? Like there, there are some pieces that, you know, when you do things a certain way and then you have ideas about different ways of doing it, you already understand what that's going to look like. So what's the point in doing it, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> um, I guess what I've learned is that, you know, sometimes you think you understand what it's going to look like and, and, it, and it doesn't always. So there's that opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you're working, I guess, in the way that I'm working and you think about how, what you're making is part of the decision of what you'll make, um, then there's just a lot of opportunity to change what you're doing. Because if you're making, because well, while you're making something, while you're in the studio trying to figure things out, the, the material will tell you what, you know, it'll show you different things that it can do. I mean, I don't just think of what the material is going to do and then do it. I, it's a lot of getting in a studio and trying things out, see and being kind of open to what, what will happen and then noticing it and then making that moment be the, the, the thing that I'll let, that I'll let the painting talk about. Maybe that's because you have children. (laughs) (laughs) You're living in the moment. You're waiting to see what happens <laughs> and you're just moving forward. Yeah. And you the give results. them, you give them just a certain amount of decisions to make and then they feel like they can make the decisions on their own. No, you can have spaghetti, you know, this is what you can have for dinner. These three possible things. Pick one. Exactly. Yeah. Limited choice is a good thing right. with kids. <laughs> but I mean, this, this is true. And actually, this is a subject that I, I did want to speak about briefly. And is mm-hmm. that you, you're not only an artist, you are a mother, a wife, you know, daughter, sister, whatever other hats uh-huh. you wear. Um, you know, and I, I've talked to other artists that like, they love their families, obviously, but the, uh-huh. but it does limit you in some ways. You're not maybe you are, I don't know, but some artists are, can't pick up and go do a residency across the country because they have little ones or, right. you know, there are wonderful things that come with that. And then, you know, for your career, you just have to work really hard to balance that. Um, yeah. Well, how have you felt about that? I mean, you were fortunate you had the Bolt residency with CAC and that was here. Right. Uh, but have you felt that that has limited you artistically or, or in your career at all? And I don't mean limit in a bad way because it can just be a temporary thing. They grow old really quickly, trust me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I can say that I, up until having kids, I always worked, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I had a job of some kind. And um, then after graduate school, I had this great job where I was interviewing different faculty member members at an artist at the at the, the school of the art institute in chicago and um going to their studios and interviewing them and stuff like that and fun putting out put yeah putting out these like five minute videos it was great i loved it i don't know how great those videos were but i loved the job anyway <laughs> um then um my uh then i my husband and i were, found out that we were expecting a kid and i was like oh sweet um i can still 
having still not knowing at all what was ahead of me, I thought that it would be perfectly appropriate for me to be continuing this job and raising a kid. And but then I I realized that we found out that I was going to have twins, and so then I knew that no matter what job I had, <laughs> I was not going to make enough that would take care of two newborns. So yeah, it was uh, definitely a life changer for me, just in terms of. Uh, getting getting out and my husband worked for him, works for himself he always did and so I would sort of do his administrative and and um, accounting things as like sort of my job while we were taking care of co-parenting and so that was different that I mean I didn't have a studio at the time it definitely shifted my practice completely and I, I mean, I think I told you this while they were newborns. I had, I carried these like little receipt rolls of <laughs> paper in my pocket and would just do drawings on them yes. um, and then turn them into videos just as, and I would keep it. So when, if they, if they ever napped at the same time, I could just draw <laughs> for, <laughs> for a few minutes. And then I just, it was just ongoing things. And I just put this discipline into play where I just had to do these and then I made these videos and I had a time structure that I had to get these things out. And I gave them, showed them to no one, but they were there and there was something for me to do. So I think for me, just continuing the practice of making and thinking, making being preferenced, forcing me then to think mm -hmm. um, through the making was really important just to keep things going. And then when they went to, when they went to kindergarten, which seemed at the time, like a million years. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> was a revelation. It was just uh, a freedom. And that's when I really, that's when I really started painting and, and just getting, just getting serious. And but that then, shows a lot of discipline for you. To, sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but that like to have such limited time, but to still carve out that time and make something happen artistically and for yourself and for your career. I mean, that's hard to do when you're juggling, you know, a child, much less two. And so I think that definitely informed how you, you know, when they went to school, you were on your path. You know, you you didn't have like a a speed bump just in terms of like a start and a stop. It was continual, even though it was less. And it's nice that you just maintain that trajectory. Yeah, it was a necessity, actually. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny. People say it's disciplined. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's disciplined. But I mean, I chose to make the drawings instead of clean the house. I mean, there was like a, <laughs> it was a choice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, parenting and and being an artist, it's, uh, you, I mean, you're, you're making choices about mm -hmm. things. Seems like you're doing a great job. And uh -huh. in fact, we can maybe end on this one note mm -hmm. where even your daughter, I've seen a painting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I believe you told me that you did not ask her or say anything about her creating that. She just did it on her own. Yeah, so they're really so both my son and my daughter, especially this year that we're in, um, you know, lockdown. So I have this gallery, it's called Material Exhibitions, and it's an artist run space, and it's in the storefront of my studio, which I share with other people. We turned that gallery into their remote classroom, essentially. So they have access to all of my 
you know, studio materials and stuff. And so occasionally we'll do that. And it's fun to watch. In fact, um, I was like, I'm always shocked at with what ease and grace they make beautiful, wonderful work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's so easy for you. It's so <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Stop making it look so easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh. But yeah, there. So that's that's well, happening. I think that's wonderful, and I'm yeah. going to call first dibs on that one. I saw. Oh, <laughs> she'll probably charge me an arm and a leg. <laughs> <laughs> She's smart like that. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, thank yeah. you so much, Jean. I'm going to use your word and it really was a joy to speak with you today. And thank you for sharing both your professional insights and personal ones as well. We can always learn from hearing both. And uh, I'll do a shameless plug. Be sure to check out our show with Jean later on this year, August, September. And thanks again. Thank you so okay, much, well, Jennifer. Oh, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.